Let's pray and then we will jump into Philippians chapter 2. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, the day. And God, there's just been so much going on in our world the last 24, 48 hours. There's just a lot of uncertainty, a lot of frustration, a lot of worry, a lot of fear. But Father, I just pray that you would remind us that you're still in control and you knew what was going to take place before it ever happened. So Father, I pray that as we really seek to follow you in the days ahead, whatever that may mean for our country, I pray that you'll just uh, give us the strength to follow you and to be your light. And Father, I pray that you would give us the strength to pray for and encourage and lift up our leaders. Whoever's in that position of leadership, Father, they need prayer. And I pray this country would be united and really fall on our knees before you. Father, then we will see blessing. So I pray that as we experience change, that we will trust you and seek to please you and humble ourselves before you and focus on your kingdom. And as we now look at this section, this perfect section in Philippians, Father, speak to us as we read your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So let's read this whole section again, and then we'll finish out um, this discussion of Jesus in chapter 2. So we, th- this, this pattern for us to follow that Paul provides in Philippians 2, uh, beginning in verse 5, that we see we're called to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. So we see that this renunciation where he turned away and gave up his standing um, in heaven, in glory, and then we see his instead emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and then came as a man. So we see he he gives up his standing, his position in heaven, with God, he sets that aside and takes on the form of man and becomes the incarnation. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that a little bit in December. And that's kind of where we left off uh, last week. So verse 8, we see this crucifixion. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Verse 9, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see this renunciation where he gave up his standing in heaven. His incarnation as he stepped onto earth as a man. And his crucifixion in verse 8 as he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. We see Jesus displaying humility. And it began as he emptied himself. He set aside God and took on flesh. And he gave up his rights. And his life was one of humility. Just think about it. And and remember who Paul's talking to. Paul's talking to a Philippian church who is proud of their Roman citizenship. And he's talking about how incredible God is. And how Jesus set aside his place and came to earth. And where was Jesus born? Not in an influential city. Not a place you want to be known from. He lived the majority of his life in obscurity. 
Think about that. For 30-something years, no one had a clue who this man was. He didn't matter to the world. We only see that at the end of his life where he really arrived on the scene, we would say. And at his lowest point, he was obedient to the point of death. We see this life of humility displayed by Jesus. The Son of God set aside his position in heaven and was born in a lowly city. He lived a lowly life. And if that wasn't low enough, he was crucified on the cross. That cross that signified a curse and total embarrassment. We talked about that a couple weeks ago in Sunday morning Bible study about how that was the worst kind of death you could die. But Jesus humbled himself and suffered that curse and embarrassment of being on the cross. But we know the story doesn't end there. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Verse 9 says what? It is for this reason that God highly exalted him. Not because of his position, but because of his example. God exalted Jesus like no one else. Jesus humbled himself and went all the way down. And then God exalted him all the way up to the king of all. And he's been given the name that is above every name. What is that name? Well, we can argue about that all day. The suspicion is that he gave him the name of Lord or Yahweh. Now, there is a debate back and forth on specifically what title he was given, but Lord fits well here, especially understanding, like I just said, who is Paul writing to? Roman citizens. And according to the Roman citizen, who is the Lord? Caesar. But here, we see in verse 9, Paul's identifying for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. He alone is Lord. Not only does that place Jesus in position above Caesar, but it also affirms his deity, his position in glory. So that at the name of Jesus, verse 10, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So is there any place not covered there? No. Here we see the already not yet dimension of our faith. We believe that Jesus is conquered, but we still have to struggle and suffer with sin and sickness in this world. We confess Him now. Partially, but someday everyone will confess him and acknowledge who Jesus is, and for many it will be too late. So we see that God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Here, you notice anything? You notice any more players in this position here? We see Jesus, and we see God, we see the Trinity starting to creep into this picture. The Godhead appears, and there's no problem. There's no rivalry, there's no contention between God and Jesus. There's just delight. There's honor, and there's glory. So if we think about this picture, 
in this hymn, this incredible hymn about Jesus' example that he provides for us. His humility, his willingness to serve and sacrifice himself for us, and the truth that because of that, he reigns and that every knee will bow before him. Let's think about something here. Let's think about Jesus' um, opposite that we see in Scripture, that, that person that Jesus is contrasted with over and over again. We think about the first man and that couple who led us down the path uh, to sin and separation. Let's think about the contrast between Adam and Jesus from what we find in this passage. If we think about it, in Genesis 1, we learn that Ab Adam was made in the image of who? Adam was made in God's image. But we read here in Philippians that Jesus was and is the very essence of God. He existed with God in the beginning. We see in Genesis that Adam wanted to be like God. He had that desire to know and be like God. Yet we read here in Philippians that Jesus took on the likeness of man. He set God aside. He set his image and his position aside and became like man. What a contrast. We see in Genesis that Adam wanted to exalt himself and put himself in a position of authority. While Jesus, here in Philippians, emptied himself, emptied himself of his authority and is standing in heaven and came to earth. We see that in Genesis, Adam was discontent being God's servant. God gave Adam a good job to care for creation. There was absolutely nothing wrong with that. He was called to rule and reign over everything. But it wasn't good enough for Adam. Yet when Jesus came, we see in Philippians that he took on the form of a servant. He had the authority to rule and reign over all of creation, yet he still set it aside and became a servant. We see in Genesis that Adam arrogantly rejected God's word in sinful disobedience. He chose not to obey the words of God and go on his own way. Yet Jesus submitted, humbly submitted to God's word in perfect obedience. And because of that, he was exalted. We see in Adam in Genesis uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 that he succumbed to temptation. Yet with Jesus in Philippians, we see that he overcame temptation and caused the tempter. In Genesis, we see that Adam brought the curse on the world, and we talk about that even today. As we see sin enter the world through his acts. But notice the contrast with Jesus. Adam brought sin into the world. Jesus took the curse for the world. You see, Jesus said, I will die on the tree, which was a curse. That cross, and we read in Scripture, cursed is a man who dies on the tree. And he willingly took that curse on himself for us. And then finally we see with Adam in Genesis that he was condemned and disgraced. And Jesus, through his humility and his act, was exalted by the Father. Incredible contrast and example for us to follow. 
And I think we're all familiar with that contrast. I think we all know those truths. None, none of this is new to us. But I think each of us are faced with this question every day. In some form or fashion, we make decisions about our life based on this contrast. Am I going to follow after Adam's example or Jesus's? The reality is we're made in God's image. And we have that desire to be like God. That's natural. But will we trust God to give it to us? Will we humble ourselves before Him and serve Him and seek after Him? Or will we take it into our own hands, seeking to please ourselves and reject His Word? I think that's the question we ask every day. It's the question... You know, maybe I asked this morning when I had pie for breakfast. That might have been it. I mean, we do that every day. Am I going to go after my own way or am I going to follow after God? And sometimes we make that mistake. Just like Adam, we fall short. But the incredible thing here is we see and we can trust in, and Paul's trying to remind his believers that Jesus paid the price for you. And through his humility, you can receive forgiveness. So trust Him and bow before Him and confess Him. And so really this section causes us to ask a couple of questions. What do you really believe about Jesus? And how does that change how you live? Uh, the challenge here, and what I would challenge all of you, is we look at His renunciation, incarnation, and crucifixion, is to memorize this section and lean hard into this pattern for us to live. Because this is a perfect example of how we should live our lives. The pattern that he provides for us to follow after. So, I'll leave you with this. Does Jesus' life make a difference in yours? Which is an easy question to ask. The hard question is, do other people see it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your willingness to give up your son. And Father, I thank you for his willingness to humble himself and become obedient to the point of death. And Jesus, I thank you for paying that price for me, for bearing that curse that I deserve. And I pray that I would not take after the example of Adam, but I would follow after you. Follow after your example. And seek after your glory. And Father, I pray that we would rest in the truth that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I pray that we would declare and proclaim it loudly today so others will be able to hear and understand and trust in you before it's too late. So Father, remind us, regardless of what's ahead of us, whether that's oppression, whether that's persecution, whether that's trials and tribulation, that Father, you rule and reign, and every knee will bow before you in the end. So help us to fix our eyes on that truth and live in confidence in your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
Well, the 